Welcome back to One Hen, Two Ducks. A grown-up theater kids podcast. I'm Megan. I'm Selena. Today's episode is a review of Beetlejuice the Musical. Beetlejuice the Musical. You know, the whole being dead thing. The whole being dead thing. Music and lyrics written by Eddie Perfect, book by Scott Brown and Anthony King, based on the movie and the cartoon series of the same name. Yes. Yes, me, Megan, and our producer, Kristen, had the pleasure of watching it together, and um, we have thoughts, takeaways. I was very lucky to have seen it in New York City during previews. It was like the week before it opened, so I got to see the original cast. Um, So it was... It was freaking great. And I'm interested to know your thoughts because we didn't really talk about it much afterwards. And I know my, I know how I feel about it. Yes. So the performance that we saw actually had the um, understudy cast, a couple of uh, parts, Beetlejuice and... Delia. Delia? Delia. Um, so that's the version that I'm coming into perspective with. We did get to view a couple of previews, for me at least. I know Megan got to see the original cast, but for me at least I got to see a couple of previews of the original um, actor. Uh, but from my perspective of the full, whole play, it was from the understudies cast, I mean understudies perspective. And I actually thought he did a fantastic, I never knew that he was the understudy until you said something. And his name is Will Bloom. Yay, Will Bloom. Was amazing. Yeah, because so the original guy's Alex Brightman, and um, he played the role on Broadway until the shutdown. So the the whole point, the whole thing behind Beetlejuice was they they were performing at the Winter Garden Theater in New York City, and all of a sudden it came out that the revival of Music Man was gonna push Beetlejuice out of the Winter Garden Theater, and do the revival there. But then all of a sudden, like that kind of made people that really like Beetlejuice, the musical really upset because Beetlejuice, the musical had only been on Broadway for, I think a year, maybe at that point. And they were doing really well. So like, why would you push out a successful show to bring in this, to bring a music band? No offense, music band, but why would you do that? So then in a, in a kind of sea of protest, all these Beetlejuice fans started buying up the tickets like crazy and selling out every show. So it was almost like they had to keep kind of pushing back the Music Man date because it was like, why would you say no to money, honey? Right. And Alex Brightman was like, I'm sticking with you to the end, baby. So a couple times, obviously, you know, you do this role, you do this show as long as he has done it, which he's he's been a part of the show at least since 2018, probably since 2017, 2016, mm-hmm. in terms of like workshops and stuff. So to do a role that long, it just gets a little tiring. Um, so every now and then you do have to have your understudy on. But understudy, like you said, was fantastic. Usually they are. Usually they're always they amazing. They are. I wouldn't have even known. He did such a fantastic job. He was hilarious. I was thoroughly entertained. <laughs> it's hard, right? It's hard to go on as an understudy to someone who just originated the role and try to still kind of be yourself in a way and be honest right. with who you are and not mimic them. So I think I think he did an excellent job with kind of being true to his own version of Beetlejuice and but still keeping the integrity and the, the hilariousness of the role. I completely concur. I, I loved, because when we watched a couple of the original um, 
uh, actors' pieces and and bits. Um, it was it was interesting because like I could still see the understudies his his parts too, and it was it was cool because that that told me okay he really did take this for his for himself, and he didn't it didn't take away from the role. Yeah. You know, it was beautiful. It showed that that no matter what the role is, that you know a great actor can still make it their own. And I know as shows go into touring and as shows go into even whenever they're released for public consumption, you know, sometimes we can get stuck into that, especially when they're well known, mm-hmm. you know, stuck into that, well, I have to do it like this actor. Um, and as as it's been seen, because as we talked about before in our, our podcast about how, you know, the, the beauty of, of remaking Shakespeare is that we never knew the original people, you know, so we can't have anything right. to really compare it to. While it's harder as, as shows get more, pro- like, for example, imagine when Hamilton does if ever it opens itself up to public consumption, it would be very difficult for someone to be like, oh man, I'm playing Burr, how can I not be like Leslie? Not be, or I'm being Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette, how can I not, 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 not David? Not David, you know, yeah. it would be almost like difficult because it's so well known and so well seen. So for me to take, like you said, an original piece and make it your own and still have it just be just as good, I thought it was brilliant. And you run into that issue as like for the audience who wants to see that person play that role, right? And then they get up, not that they show you, I'm sure, but that they kind of get upset of like, oh, we're not going to see that person. You know what I mean? But then they're under, like the understudy comes on and and they're incredible. You know what I mean? It's true. They give you just an awesome experience. And it just goes to show you like, look at this person who probably plays this role a handful of times in the course of a couple months and they can and they can still pick it up like that. I know they have like right. an understudy rehearsal before they go on and stuff, but still, like, it, right? It, the the people that are swings and that are understudies are some of the most incredible human beings <laughs> in this <laughs> world because they know every part and like where they know exactly where everyone stands. They know all the choreography for this part, this part, this part. If I'm staying, if I'm taking over this track, I have to stand on this stage and all my movements this way. Whereas if I go, I'm going to stand over here and, and do all the movements to the back. Like, it's just unreal. Shout out to all the swings and the understudies. Yeah, really. And and talk about humility. I would be. It would. Oh, talk about like having to learn all those parts, all that do all the work that the main character does, but you only get to perform once in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, talk about still being grateful, still being, you know, in it and invested and still giving your 100% even though you may never get seen. I mean, it's 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 really honorable. It really, really is. And so kudos to you, good kudos sir. Kudos to you. And ma'am. And ma'am. So Beetlejuice, the movie and the animated series, Beetlejuice, the movie, Tim Burton, kind of dark, kind of adult. Um, Beetlejuice is kind of more framed as like a villain, Mm-hmm. sort of it's 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 got some iconic characters and iconic moments um and obviously the look of the movie is very iconic because it's tim burton and then mm-hmm. you have the animated series where they they make beetlejuice a, you know the same kind of uh grotesque silly ghoul who's there for like some hijinks but he's sort of uh lydia's best friend right. um and i think in the musical they kind of did a good job of mashing the two up yeah so Beetlejuice isn't necessarily a villain but he's not the good guy either but you Mm -hmm. you still root for him and you don't want (laughs) to see him like 
get defeated in the end. You know what I mean? Like he leaves at the end of his own accord. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like he wants to, and, and, and I don't know, there's still that nice kind of like playfulness friendship that Lydia and Beetlejuice have in the musical that they, they I feel like they did a good job fleshing out. And uh, that Agreed. was one thing that I was really happy to see. I'm not much of like a cult classic um, follower. Like I don't get so deep into these things, but I would hope that the way they designed it and the way they honored kind of both storylines, that those people that do like want to see exactly like the same thing are still happy with it. What do you think? I think that it's possible because like you said, I, I one thing that I can't stand in just storytelling storytelling in general is um, one level or one uh, dimension characters where where they're the villain and they're only the villain and there's no layering there. There's no depth to those characters or they're only the good person and there's no like naughtiness about them. I can't stand that. You know, I, I loved that, like you said, how they married these two Beetlejuices together to, to for for me to make a complete mm-hmm. Beetlejuice. I think the other two almost like lost a little bit of him because they went a little bit on the caricature types of him. But I think the musical did a great job of humanizing, even though he's dead, humanizing <laughs> Beetlejuice because, um, like you said, you you felt compassion for him, even though he's not necessarily the good guy. But he's not necessarily, you understood his reasoning. And I loved these very, very deep, serious moments that he kind of lets you in, but then still is Beetlejuice. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I, you know, my mother was very abusive and she hated me. But anyway, you know, like, and then he would, like, yeah, and he'd get all sad. He's like, he I was, just want someone to see me, see just, me like yes. I really am. And then he'd be like, yes. Fuck you guys. And then he moved up, or, or, or exactly, or how he didn't, he was so desperate to just not be alone. And I think that that specific part of him is what translates well to the audience. Because I think every one of us has that in us. We There's a part of us that just really, even those who say they like to be alone, I really try, I really believe even them, they like to have at least one person. Because yeah. that's just human nature. We are not built to be single, like alone alone i'm not single because you know single ladies hey but i'm I'm talking about like i'm talking about like by yourself in life not having anybody not even a companion a dog a cat a bird nothing (laughs) somebody something you know like we're just not meant to do that so i loved that that was his goal and out of that goal i think we all sympathized of that villain where where goal messes with the line of becoming bad I yeah. think we all are there, you know, where we're like, we want something so bad that, okay, how are we, how, how far are we going to go with this? How far are we going to go? Granted, <laughs> be, be, Beetlejuice is a little bit of like that chaos magic energy, so he, he'll go pretty far, but... <laughs> he'll go pretty far. He's like, I'm going to not be alone. I will not, you know, and, and he he crosses that line. But then he does a great job of, and and, and Lydia, that character's arcs and, and stuff, I love too. I love that she was brooding. Yes. But then brooding for a true purpose. And uh, I, I think that they did a great job of not making her too charactery too. Because yeah. she has a very difficult written part in that she is kind of one note. She's kind of like what we the talked about. The angsty teenager. Yes. Like she's that type of person that they only gave. Okay, this is the girl who lost her mom. Mm-hmm. And there was not much left there. So she had the difficult task of building that into more. Into, okay... I'm more than just a girl who just lost her mom. Who am I? Right. What do I want? You know, and uh, and I thought she did a 
fantastic job. And to think she's so yeah. young. Megan, tell she's the people so how old this chick is. She started playing this role when she was, I think, 15, 16. So she, it came to Broadway when she was about 17 or 18. Um, the brilliant Sophia Ann Caruso. Huge career ahead of her, I'm sure. And, and then so this brings up a, a point that you made. A uh, little bit of a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the Beetlejuice the musical. In order to flesh out a storyline make it make sense for the stage. They begin the show at a funeral and it's Lydia's mom's funeral. And so her kind of whole, whole motivation throughout the show is, uh, you know, she, she wants her dad to understand that she's hurting. She feels like her dad is kind of moving on really quickly and just wants to return to normal and doesn't want to talk about the fact that her mom just died. And so this, she's got this rebellious quality to her, but then, you know, she's befriending ghosts and she wants to help them out. She doesn't want to live in the suburbs. She wants to go back to the city and back to her house where she was with her mom. And that then transforms into wanting to then go to the netherworld and find her mom. And what was so powerful for me is I walked into this musical thinking I was going to have a fun, um, lighthearted evening out about town and just laugh at this musical because it was so funny but then you have this very serious moment between Lydia and her father in the netherworld where she confronts him and she's like you never talk about her you don't talk about her and he breaks down and he finally says because it hurts me and to see that honest like interaction between a father and a daughter about a passing of a family member. Like, I mean, I'm almost tearing up right now thinking about it because I remember seeing that on stage and just like, whoa, it's like a, it's like all of a sudden you're like watching something really fun. And then all of a sudden it punches you in the face and you're like, this has a huge message, Yeah, you know? And like, they constantly talk about like, say your, like say Beetlejuice's name, say the name, say the name. Right. But I think ultimately, like she, she talks to her dad about why won't you even say her name in the house? Because name, name gives something power. When you name something, yeah. it gives it power. You know, when you said that, it was it's very true. Mentioning name, it has power, and it almost even reminded me. I know I'm gonna go over here. Just follow me, people. Come on a journey <laughs> with me in my brain. I'm but, here. Um, it almost <laughs> reminded me of Coco, because that was their whole thing too of keeping someone alive right and for Beetlejuice it was keeping that saying her name kept her alive because in that Lydia even says I don't want to forget her and and it's the same thing with Coco of uh, but they use pictures but the same thing applied of there comes a point when if you don't share the story if you don't express if you don't as the living person keep them alive the way you can then they are really dead they are really yeah. gone they cease to exist oh, and what a good point that's such a good point Ooh, i just got oh it's so deep it's when you so said that i was like you're so right and i like I, I forgot about that moment too where she tells her dad like i don't want to forget her oh my i like it's so it's it's literally a what 10 minute scene yes out of the entire two-hour musical and it's like it's given me the chili chills and it's like it has weight man it has weight and you're right the rest of it is so much fun so i mean they're doing the banana song they're doing the you know <laughs> they're doing all these crazy <laughs> you know it's song they're doing moments. the banana song <laughs> i can only think of the banana no it's to- it's the banana song though and it's but it's just so funny when you say it like that <laughs> And then, so they're doing all these fun, and then Beetle just come. 
and the, even the understudy I, I love the understudies part because what he did because he always added just little extras and i think that was him just going this is my moment who knows when i'm going to come back on stage i'm going to add the most improv pieces that i can and um but he was the little sidelines and the little crack jokes that he would put in the in most random places it was just so funny and then like you said then there's these moments where it's like ha, ha, ha. oh shit. yeah <laughs> you know like like it, it gets really really deep and i really appreciated it i thought that the musical did exactly what theater does mm -hmm. which is goes to the artistry back to the artistry back to the depth of something movies can only do so much um and movies are very geared towards market um and I thought that this was a beautiful nod to audience and to people and to humanity mm -hmm. of of taking this very fun, very lively, but going, but there's more. I mean, we kind of talked, I think, a little bit about with prom, huh. um, but it was a little, it wasn't as like beat you over the head with the message. Yes. Yeah, right? Like it was yes. a very subtle message that all of a sudden it's like you get it at the end. They're not beating you over the head with it. It was just, it was something that was so organic and real and it, it was a great piece of writing. You know what I mean? The way I they agree. got to it, it was perfect. I agree. Like it, they didn't, like they didn't stick to, the prom had a very bad, <laughs> had an issue with, with just putting in problems, but then not letting them see, like, like they they tried, you know, in the prom, like with, with, with uh, having that moment, oh yeah, her mom left her and then it was just gone. Like there, but, but there was no. First of all, we didn't even hear it from the main character herself, because that would have already added so much more depth. If it didn't come from the grandma and actually the girl talking about her mother. Well, remember, I think that was that was something added for the movie that wasn't in the. That's right. Broadway show. And that's why it felt like it just a throw in, and I yeah. did. I hated that. While this one was definitely not a throw in. These were these were thought out. Um, perfectly placed to moments where because they and I and oh my gosh as a writer I don't even know how hard that would have been to be like okay we need to go into a deeper moment here but how do we have all this fun comedy and put that in there without making it feel like a gimmick or a throwaway or something mm -hmm. that doesn't put on that weight so they had to find the moments they had to find the right time that like it had to be perfect for it to work yeah. and it works I say and it works, it works. And so keeping keeping along the lines of this show that I know we didn't get I mean, with what we watched we didn't we weren't able to see many of the technical elements, but the technical elements were amazing. You have these uh, incredible light cues. Like we had there's this moment where it looks like everything sucks into a door. And the way they're able to make it look so real, it's incredible. Now Tim Burton had nothing to do with, with this musical or the design of it but they were able to take things and be inspired by his designs and create things that looked very much like a Burton-esque set, which then helped kind of make you feel a little bit more nostalgic for like the movie and stuff like that. That is true. Yeah, but you have these great costumes. You have all this great play with Beetlejuice. Like he's doing, he's doing some magic tricks. He's doing, you know, he, he's getting stuff from the pit or from trap doors. He's, you know, pulling out extra limbs from behind the set. You know what I mean? Like microphones are popping up. Ukuleles. There's a giant <laughs> snake. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's some really cool like magical elements to this. There's levitation. Yes. 
how do they even do it right? Because you don't see a machine. You don't see right. wires. They're very so good at hiding it. They're really good at hiding it. Um, very good. I was. I kept staring. I was like, where did they get the wires? I know. Where is the it? Lever? Where's the lever? <laughs> but you I know don't, what I also And I still loved? don't know. I still don't know either. But I, what I also loved is the, the transitions. They were seamless and it wasn't yeah. and you know usually when there's a seamless transition it's pretty easy that's why you know you get you get a, a fairly simple set and then you simply and easily transition to a very another very simple set but this is, did not do that they had very complicated very big sets and they would go straight into a completely different one yep and i was like like the fact that the house changed three times yeah and it was all and i'm like how did we go from a, you know, a, a fixer-upper to a very high renovation to this, like, Beetlejuice layer? Yep. Like that. Like that. I'm like, oh, my God. And, and, and they would come from these also big, going from the ne- netherworld to, which was a huge change, too. And I'm like, how were they doing this so seamlessly? Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, like you're going... of seconds. You're going from like the main area of the house to then all of a sudden you're in the attic, then all of a sudden you're in a bedroom, yes. then all of a sudden you're on the roof of the house. Like it's, right. it's, and it is, it's like seconds, you know, seconds. like they make all this in a second and it's, and it, and, and a couple of times, which was so well done. It's like, okay, we have this, we do have this really long transition here. How are we going to fill it? That's not just music that doesn't keep like that people, like they have one really long transition and they figured out, okay, towards the end of this transition, cue Beetlejuice, and he's just gonna start talking until the lights come up. He's just gonna and do. He's, so he's just gonna improv and tell them a story, and the lights will come up, and that'll be the cue to, for him to be like and wrap it up. And he's like, and that's the time I made guacamole with Catherine Hepburn. I <laughs> like, <laughs> and because and because and it works so well because Beetlejuice is such a character like you don't even think that that's what they're doing you don't even think yeah. that they're oh they're just trying to cover a transition or distracting you don't even feel that because you just think this is just beetlejuice and you're so invested into him by that moment that you're just eating up everything he says so yeah. you're not even noticing what's happening around him you don't even care that he's just randomly talking in this moment you don't care because you're like it's just more beetlejuice and he's just so much fun and i love him and <laughs> just and it's wonderful he's so great I mean, and what a fun, great character. And usually, I mean, we talked about this in a, in a previous episode about movies that turn into musicals. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're not the greatest. No, but Beetlejuice was definitely one of them, I think, was one yes. of the ones that worked because they were able to take the elements that worked and bring them in. And it wasn't Alex Brightman portraying um, Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. Right. It was right. Alex Brightman's take on Beetlejuice. Right. You know what I mean? So, which still had like homages to Michael Keaton. So if you watch like any of Alex Brightman's stuff, he kind of does this growly thing with his voice. And that's what Michael Keaton is kind of doing. Like, hey, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't even, I can't even do it. He does it so well. Um, right. And then you have like some of the makeup and obviously the striped suit right. is the same, but like mm-hmm. it's still a different energy. And it exactly. works. And at first you're like, I don't know if I'm going to like this, right? And then, and, but then it works. That was me. That was 100% me. And, and I will say as an originalist, because I am an originalist, it's very hard for me to do anything outside of being original. Um, as an originalist, I actually prefer the musical 
over both the cartoon and the movie now mm -hmm. because of the depth that we talked about because of all these mirroring together and i thought this was a perfect marriage mm -hmm. they just had the best baby in the world this baby is far greater than the parents it's i think that it that it is um, baby a beautiful bouncing baby beetlejuice, beetlejuice. and uh <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was much better i thought it i thought it heightened not to take yeah. away from the for all you other originalists out there that are yelling at me right now, not to take away from the movie and the show, I'm just saying that the, those were their own me, special musical, thing. Yes, they were their That's own the thing. special their thing. Their own special thing. Right. No one will ever be Michael Keaton in Beetlejuice with Michael Keaton ever. ever. So why even try? <laughs> ever. Don't ever. Yeah, just don't. But I thought this one just elevated. I think it just added an extra level. I think, like I said, it just got new DNA. Just it got mm -hmm. more boosted DNA, yeah. and uh, the DNA's still there. His daddy's still the original, still there. but it's just now a beautiful baby, <laughs> pretty baby, baby. Just, a, just a pretty baby. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, it. post post COVID life, um, on at least there there will be a tour. I'm sure of Beetle. I'm positive I'm sure. there'll be a tour of Beetlejuice. And, oh, I mean, and hopefully a little baby Broadway return. They didn't deserve to go out like that. You know what I mean? No, they didn't. Oh. They didn't. They didn't. And then I oh, also real juice. quick, too, wanted to talk about the score. Um, oh, yeah. Because, again, I'm the type of person that likes to watch it first before. Because I heard a couple of the songs. And mm -hmm. I was like, actually, it, I did hear the whole being dead thing. for, And I and I remember I was cleaning. And I just had Alexa playing show tunes. Yeah. And she just popped it up there randomly. I think it was like, it was like real random, like after <laughs> Carousel. Like it was like this beautiful, sweeping ballad. And then, oh, Don't it's you all love... the dead thing. I'm like. <laughs> Don't you love that stuff? Don't you love when you're listening to just like, like a random show tune pile? And it's yes. like, it's like Annie, get your gun or something like yes. super like upbeat, like anything you can do, I can I do, do I better. Can do. And, and then, then it's like, and then it's like the act Valjean. one finale of Ragtime. And it's like, all of a sudden you hear Cole House go, no. Yes, exactly. And that's exa how I was feeling. I was, I mean, I was in a mode, so I'm cleaning. And of course I had just listened to a couple of, they had played a six song. So I was all excited about that. Six. Yes. Um, so I was all excited about that. But um, because I was like, yeah, that's my jam. And then they went into this sweeping ballad. I think it was like, it was it, it was an old school musical. Yeah. And it's then like, it came if into, I loved oh, you. Yeah, that one. And um, but then came the whole being dead thing. And I remember it caught my attention. So I was like, what? What is this song? And I didn't know. And I could just assume by the lyrics. I was like, is this Beetlejuice? I was like, what is this? <laughs> this is I'm like, Beetlejuice. This has to be Beetlejuice. And um, it, for me, it was one of the very few moments where I was immediately drawn to the music before the music, before seeing it. Because I didn't hear the rest of the songs, but that one in particular, just I could see it without seeing it. And that's mm -hmm. why it's hard for me to, to listen to a soundtrack or to a, to a musical without seeing it, because it's hard for me to see what they're doing, see the context of the story, see what's going on. Like, especially if you have one that's unconventional like Six or like Hamilton, like it was very hard for me to go like, okay, what am I seeing without seeing it? Right. You know, so that one though, I was like, I don't even know the set. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what's going on. I don't know the choreography, but I could still see in my imagination that this is fun. 
and then yeah. this is like I could just feel it. I, I just felt it. I just felt it. So the score was on. The I score loved was it. great. <laughs> They were able to incorporate the original Danny Elfman theme a little bit in like in in the whole being dead thing. And then in other parts, like it's like that da 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 da. And then they cut it off at that. But it still gives you that like, yep. Yes. Yep. This is it. This is that. This is that musical. And I love too. I love too whenever they started it with the ballad, you know, of Lydia's song. And then he even jumps in the ballad already. A ballad at the beginning already in the beginning. Like, and I was like, that's perfect. Because that was my exact thought was, why is this starting? This is what we're doing. This is interesting. And that's why I love that they already anticipated that thought and went and made fun of it. And I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant thing to do um, and go right into the more upbeat song that we expected um, for an opener. So yes. I, I love that. I loved um, the play with with different known songs, with different unknown songs. I loved uh-huh. um, Lydia's just oh my goodness. gut-wrenching, oh, here's my soul, bear it with me songs. Yeah, know? like Dead Mom, like that's the thing is when you, when you as a composer kind of start working with people and like again you know the writing process goes through many different stages so as a composer writing a musical your work goes through many different stages and sometimes someone comes in sings a song and then you just start realizing you're writing for that voice and i think i think i mean i don't know for sure but i would imagine that um eddie perfect started listening to sophia um started writing things that would obviously be well for her character, but then wrote things in kind of a punk pop yes. way that really fit her voice where she's slipping in and out of her pockets so easily yes. and just like bringing this amazing rock quality to her songs. But that's also really like angsty. Mm-hmm. It's great. I, it's great. And it's, it's exactly what, sorry, we're putting a lot of plugs in this episode. Sorry. Sorry. It's the plug episode. But it is the plug episode. But that it's exactly what Bridgerton, what they're working with, is not is missing. Bridgerton. (laughs) But it's exactly what they're missing, and what Mm -hmm. we talked about with that. Because right now, as as they're developing the process, we were talking about in that episode how all the songs sound alike. It's very there's there's no variety. There's no growth. There's no like what they need to be paying attention to musicals like this to where first of all there's tons of variety you got the punk thing which i love because you know hamilton took the hip-hop thing now we got beetlejuice taking the punk thing but it's not so or or six taking the the pop thing but Mm -hmm. all of them do it in a way that it's not it's not boring and it's not the same like because even with six they added the ballad Mm-hmm. And they added some hip hop and then some more poppy pop, you know, of, of Britney. And then, you know, they, yeah. they, and then they the added more like bluesy of like bluesy, exactly. And the same thing with Hamilton. It wasn't, they had, they had trap innocence, you know, kind of rap. They had very old school rap. And then mm-hmm. they had um, uh, a very, what is it called? Speedy rap that, that David Diggs is perfect in. You know, and a ballad, a ballad or two, you know, so like they they did that. And then this one, too, does the same thing. We've got rock. We've got punk. We've got we've got ballad. We've got got classic Broadway. That's or not like classic contemporary Broadway when like the Maitlands, the Maitlands are singing like it's a very kind of classic. This is a musical. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. And that's the things that Bridgerton, for example, were missing. 
and that they need to pay attention to because this is what makes i think this is what's becoming the modern or the contemporary whichever one is closest <laughs> musical because yeah. this is this variety building because it wasn't like that before a lot of it was you know i mean they they had a little bit of variety in a lot of the other classics but i think this is becoming a thing now mm -hmm. where you are sticking to a certain genre but in that genre you are taking or under that umbrella you're taking all the little details of okay okay yes we're under the 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 umbrella of hip-hop but okay trap old school of that so that yeah. is variety you can pick and so many different versions of type, it exactly the yeah. new variety type is the new way and so if you're gonna write a musical people yeah write it with variety write it with variety everyone thank you so much for hanging out with us again for another one and two ducks um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do, like the podcast, give us some stars, send it to your friends. Also, we have a Patreon. We have a Patreon, Patreon backslash one hen, where you can go get some bonus content. If you become a patron, you can listen to um, extra uh, fun things from our Art Unmasked guests. You can get some really cool merchandise. So please become a patron if you like what we're doing. Just throw us $5. It helps. And yes. thank you so much to the cast of Beetlejuice. You guys are awesome. Um, we Good enjoyed job, your show very much. We can't wait when theater's a thing again and we can watch it oh, in the real again. Yes. We can go to the theater. Until then, we'll just be singing with the soundtrack while we wash dishes and stuff. The whole being dead thing. whole being dead thing. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everyone.